Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. <laughs> I'm Tommy Teeps Pico. And I'm Drea Washington. And we are Scream Queen, a podcast about scary movies. From people not typically depicted in scary movies. Um, guess what, Drea? Uh what? I figured out how Freddie's gonna kill me. Uh what's gonna happen? Okay, so in my dreams, this is what happens. In my dream, um, so it's the first day of school. And I'm like late to class because this is actually literally a stress dream that I have all the motherfucking time. In addition to not being able to find my ticket before I board the plane. But anyway, so let's just say it's the first day of school. I'm late. I'm running to class. I'm also still 35 years old. Why am I running to high school? I don't know because I'm still (laughs) me at this age. And I've got textbooks and shit. And I can't, and I'm running around the building. I can't find the front door. 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 And I'm panicking, panicking, panicking. And then I finally find it and I reach for it. Freddie opens it up and he says something like, Don't be tardy for the party, bitch. And like stabs me <laughs> in the chest with all of his knives. That's the way Freddie's gonna kill me. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it came to me. Um, I think I would probably, mm, I was gonna say I would probably date Freddie because he has a great sense of humor. But and then we, I thought about the implications yeah, of the whole thing. We know his, his backstory. Yeah, yeah. So. But, you know, I love me a man with skin that looks like it's like um, a cheese pizza. <laughs> because I know he's never going to leave me. Pizza the Hut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jaya, will you tell us what, what our act structure is going to be today? All right. So for our act one, we're doing a Have Y'all Seen of Society. It's a little doozy of an 80s flick. It will get into the bullshit. In <laughs> <laughs> our act two, we have Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror fantastic documentary that came out uh was it earlier this year yeah on shutter on shutter yeah uh, it's mandatory viewing and finally our act three will be talking about our screen queen of the week which is vanessa paradise in knife and heart Ooh, and she has knife and heart let's just talk about her for a minute but we'll get into we'll get into oh, it. Yes. we'll get into it we'll get into that uh thank you take it away with our have y'all seamer talk society um, give me an era. 80s, early 90s, like right on the cusp. Okay, um, give me a tagline. Uh, I got a few for you, actually. Okay, got so, a few for that ass? Yeah, so here, here we go. <laughs> this this movie has seven taglines. Oh, shit. Yeah. In Beverly Hills, what you fear is only the beginning. Okay. You are what they eat. Uh. <laughs> if you don't belong, they'll eat you alive. <laughs> it is not what you think it is. It is a matter of good breeding. Really. <laughs> the rich have always fed up the poor. This time, it's for real. Okay. And finally, it's all about fitting in. <laughs> uh, why are these vaguely sexual? I mean, if you really know this movie, then you understand just that's a little too dead on. Some Spe- of those. <laughs> Speaking on Beverly Hills, though, I had a uh, Lyft driver the other day who was like, first of all, talking is a face off about Ayn Rand and I was like I'm not here for this and he was also like I really want to move to Beverly Hills because you know they have almost no homeless people there and that's like freedom to me and I was like ooh 
Mm-mm. One star. Sorry. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. Big one star. Can you give negative stars? I think you can. Well, I mean, in my mind, absolutely. Got negative five stars. But um, society. So uh, this film is disgusting. And <laughs> in order to even see the trailer, you have to uh, do age verification because apparently it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, not for the, the faint of heart. Uh, you know, just suck it up. This is mi- <laughs> everybody needs to watch this shit. I'm telling you. So let I want to know what what did you think? We, so this is a, a, a I mean, it's not like it's not in the horror canon or whatever. It's like largely um, overlooked, and that's why you know have y'all seen is great for pulling these relics out of the sand. But like, what led you to this film to begin with? This is uh, one of those films I've seen the cover a million times. Mm. Like I've always seen this cover, always seen like certain stills from it. And it's just, you know, you just kind of forget about it. It's just one of those things like, oh, that looks fucked up. And then I just don't. I didn't pay attention to it for years. Well, one of the stills that comes up very popularly in this, and it's right in the Google search, is a face coming out of a man's butthole. (laughs) What's up with that, Drea? I mean, is that what it is? I don't know. Uh, That's what it looks like. (laughs) I mean, again, that's just the beauty of practical uh, effects. Uh, The makeup artists in this film were killing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know they might have gotten a little too heavy-handed with some of this shit. So, t- so g- give me a little breakdown. Okay, so we got Billy Warlock. Uh, later on, he'd be David Hasselhoff's sidekick in Baywatch. Mm. Uh, but he stars as this like kind of out of sorts kid. He doesn't really fit in with his family in Beverly Hills. He's adopted, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah, believe yeah. he's adopted. No, no, no. He's not. He's not adopted. Oh, okay. But he feels adopted. Okay. And yeah, he's never quite fitted in. Uh, fitted in. Fitted in. He never. He never quite fitted it in. I and, like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, his sister's ex-boyfriend approaches him one day, saying, "You know, I have some recordings of fucked up shit that's been going on. Do you want to hear this?" You can't really determine what's happening on this recording, but it doesn't sound right. It sounds like people getting it in. Yeah, it sounds, it like, sounds like the mother and the father and the sister. Like and, and it sounds like incest. It sounds like families fucking. Like this, his family's fucking know. each other. But you not, don't they're like, know. ooh, I want to have you next. I mean, it sounds like she's getting trained. She's getting Amtrak run through her. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, but you know, there's no way to prove this. It's just audio. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds pretty damn nasty to me. Um, the buildup throughout the film, like, so you hear this tape and then just little slight things happen throughout the film. People's bodies are shifting in ways they probably shouldn't shift. Um, yeah, he, okay, first of all, then he's like spying on his sister in the shower and he only, it's like one of those uh, glass tile things where you can only really make out the outline and it looks like her back has titties. Yeah, she got titties on her back. <laughs> and why is he trying to look at his sister in the shower? Again, why just, she got back, titty back? Why, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's like, even if she does, like, don't don't go in the shower. That's don't, your sister. Don't go in the shower. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like a heavy just... Uh, avoidance or just like no they're not even paying attention to just how inappropriate some of the shit is this movie is wildly inappropriate yeah which is another reason i'm such a big fan of it (laughs) so fucked up makes no sense and and i love seeing the one percent i believe that this is what they honestly do behind doors (laughs) i i think this is a documentary Uh, (laughs) so let's talk about what they do behind closed doors because this is where so for, for most of the movie i feel like it's like a I don't know. It's the reason why I'm so scared of Lyme's disease because he has nobody will believe that yes. he's got this knowledge, right? Yes. Nobody believes him, yes. which is a, which is a popular trope in horror that like you discover something nobody believes you again, um, like that's the the subtext or whatever. But um, 
it, but but you don't really even get any of the scary shit really until probably the last like 10 15 minutes yeah 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 i mean it's it's all build up to the last the finale the grand finale and it is well they bring buck it oh it's wild is it is buck wild buck booty buck wild booty buck <laughs> nuck if you booty buck wild <laughs> <laughs> um, talk about some things that happen. And, oh, so what's fine, it called? So, homeboy Billy Warlock finally gets. At, he's trying to out, uh, escape his family, but they're ready to sacrifice his ass. Mm-hmm. Um, so he makes it to the the thing that he overheard in the tape. He's finally at one of these meetings, and they bring in the sex parties. Yeah. Well, we don't know that yet, Tommy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry if I jumped the gun on that one, but. <laughs> It was some the, slap of sex parties. <laughs> the judge comes in and, uh, yeah, and then things commence. He proceeds to watch his sister's ex-boyfriend get fucked by everybody, but they, like, melt into his body. Again, um, it just looks like some, like, extra cheese pizzas happening. And this painting, actually, it was uh, it was based on a, a Picasso called, like, I don't know, like the, no, no, a Salvador Dali painting, like called like the vagina or something like that. Okay. And it was, and and so if you look at the, uh, this painting, it looks like this sequence of people fucking and it's just, it just, it's like the blob basically. Yeah. So it's like they're fucking and they're eating and also becoming physically a part of him. Yes. Like, like people's noses going into people's bellies, but like attaching. It's just, yeah. everyone becomes like, I don't know, like, um, like some hap, like some stretch Armstrong Play-Doh bullshit. Yeah, like yeah. Play-Doh, everyone becomes Play-Doh, claymation basically. Uh-huh. And they're all just like spilling in, into each other. Fisting. Mixing, and... fisting. And then a head comes out of a butthole. A hand. Yeah. yeah. Well, a hand goes through a butthole through a mouth first. And then once they... I'm t- so mad about this. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then his head comes out the butthole. <laughs> and then um, at the end, he's absorbed him completely. And he has his... The mole that that kid had is now on his face. Uh-huh. And he's like... He has new skin. On the and he's, dad. And he's all taut. No, on the judge. Oh, the judge. He's okay. all nice and new, new and firm and rejuvenated. Uh, and this is how they stay... Like, they keep themselves going. And in the... I mean... And then his... And then the main dude's family, David Warlock's family, they all... They take a break. The brother, sis, uh, the mother and father and sister, this, they don't even participate in that. They just go to the side room and they start decide to have a little fun with each other. Yeah, they, and that's where the butt scene comes from. Okay. And he's like, because he called his dad a butthead earlier in the movie. And, and then goes, his dad's face comes through a butthole. And he's like, he's like, I guess you're right. I am a butthead. <laughs> And then like the mo- and like the dad and the mom and the and the sister all merge together yeah. and they've got like hands coming out of places yeah. butts and tits they're in all places one that- thing. I'm struggling because it was so weird. I'm struggling to actually describe it. This is something I wouldn't recommend you see, but if you are curious, uh, you have to look. Yeah, yeah, I I recommend it. <laughs> That's because you're twisted inside. Nah, That's why. Nah, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. And if you guys want to know what's going on in this world right now behind the scenes, then I need watch you the need to watch this. documentary Society. This isn't some Pizzagate shit. This is real. <laughs> this is real. And I'm trying to keep you all on the up. So this, is the, this isn't the deep state. This is the deep skeet. Fair. <laughs> I hate you so much. hate that. Um, I also want to say that the... The guy that did the makeup for this, uh, his name is uh, Screaming Mad George. He's also responsible for some really, he did Predator, 1987, Big Trouble, Little China, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, 
uh, in four. He did, let's see, what else? He did Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. Uh, there yeah, was he, a four? Uh, yeah, there, there, there was. Okay. And it's a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did Beyond Re- Reanimator, Tales from the Hood. Yeah, mm. so he's he's been around. He's been doing his, his thing. But um, yeah, watch this movie, guys. All right. Hope, yeah. If we have to. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, everybody. We're at Act 2 of this episode. Act 2. <laughs> and this week we are discussing the documentary Horror Noir, a history of black horror based on the book Horror Noir by Robin R. Means Coleman, written and produced by Ashley Blackwell and Danielle Burroughs. It traces the history of blackness in scary movies from Birth of a Nation to Night of the Living Dead to black exploitation horror to People Under the Stairs, Tales from the Hood, hip hop horror of the early aughts and ending in Get Out and Us. Tanana Rive Du sets the stage when she says, we've always loved horror, but unfortunately, horror hasn't always loved us. And it features interviews with lots of famous Black people in horror, including Jordan Peele, Rachel True from The Craft, Loretta Devine from Urban Legend, Keith David from The Thing, Tony Todd, The Candyman, uh, Paula Jai Parker in Tales from the Hood, amongst amongst many others. Um, That really goes into detail about the ways in which... um, cinema informs culture reflects culture and also how culture has informed the cinematic representations of uh black people throughout the history of scary movies so drea what did you think of this flick um yeah so i i was waiting in anticipation for this documentary since i learned about it last year um i think it should be in every film class i Mm. think it's incredibly important it's you know it it's focused on the black experience in films, but it really it's about, you know, POCs, you know, and just how we can be easily misrepresented when you don't know shit about that culture. Mm-hmm. Like, you really don't have any business telling that story if you don't know, if you can't relate to or know, have any knowledge of it. Yeah. You know, just common sense kind yeah. of shit. So, you know, it starts with uh, unint- an unintentionally horrific film, mm-hmm. Birth of a Nation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're depicted as monkeys and monsters and, you know, just these evil demons, whatever. So, you know, fr- right from the get-go, people don't see us as human beings. Yeah. And when you see that on TV and then you don't see these people in real life, really, you know, you start to take out, you just believe that shit. And, and those representations are often, uh, in the one, in Birth of a Nation in particular, often not even portrayed by black people it's no. white people in blackface yeah 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 i mean just next level ignorance but um i i really appreciated you know even they talk about certain films that were happy they were made you mm-hmm. know like at least the, we got the opportunity <clears throat> but the missteps within them mm-hmm. and taking the time to we still have to critique ourselves like the when they get into black exploitation films mm-hmm. you know that's a very uh, polarizing subject uh, it was great to see sort of powerful uh, figures, but <clears throat> people were also offended by, you know, a lot of this is run by white men mm-hmm. and they're depict- they kind of just did an over the top version of us fur coats and jewelry and sexualized, you know, when we're we can be so much more than that. Yeah, I mean, and that's sort of the problem when the um, the, the burden of representation is put on people who don't even live aren't even part of the community mm-hmm. you know when they're like reflecting um tropes oftentimes racist tropes that they've seen or internalized um that they don't even have a relationship to so, yeah you know i think too um 
I I learned so much about I learned so much in this film, and I learned so much too. Like you know, Tanana Rivadu, like we talked about in an early episode, she 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 breaks down the different tropes yes. in of black people in horror: the um, magical magical Negro, Negro superficial yeah, Negro, the first to die, mm-hmm. and in in just uh, flat out invisibility. And I really related to that as an indigenous person, um, thinking about you know the spirit guide, the noble savage, the squaw, and invisibility. I mean. And I think, too, just as people that, like, I love movies. You know what I mean? And I, but there are ways in which, like, movies have done harm against communities like ours. Oh, I mean, it's a, oh, and just to go back, it's a sacrificial uh, Negro, mm-hmm. uh, not superficial. But uh, I think, you know, although, you know, it's it's your own art and you, you technically you can do whatever the fuck you want to. It, it's still a huge responsibility. And you we see what it, the long term harm it's caused. Mm-hmm. And now we we're faced with this and it's all coming out right now. You know, not I don't even I don't even need to get political. Like we just know this has always been happening. Mm-hmm. People are just becoming more aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always been my existence. It's always been your existence. Like to to be a person of color in this world is to deal with you know, just that we're completely faced with just so many uh, adversities every single day. Mm-hmm. But that's just part of our life. We keep it going. But finally, we have the the literature, the knowledge, the footage to back it up, mm-hmm. you know, and somebody has had to take that time to do that. And it's unless we do that. And that's the main thing I got from this film. We have to do it ourselves. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to get done. Yeah. I mean, and I, th- I think, too, uh, one one thing that it really um, pointed out to me was the ways in which cinema can um, can it can be a device for talking about stuff that's going. I mean, obviously, that's not a revelation. But, for example, in um, Tales from the Hood, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a scary it's an anthology it's a scary anthology series but it also like you it was able to talk about um domestic violence it was able to talk about um police brutality it was able to talk about gang violence and stuff like that all within the structure of a scary movie mm-hmm. you know so it's so it seems like it's um entertainment but it is also shedding light on the movie on was, issues yeah you know people took it as at face value but yeah that movie was really touching on some heavy heavy subjects um as far as like uh i mean when in particular tales from the hood you know like i just really i remember as a kid it was just like a i just enjoyed the the dolls and all that shit in it Mm -hmm. and but then going back i you know i was blown away by david allen greer's uh his performance in that and to see um that i mean that episode about police violence mm-hmm. and you know those stories were solid like they still hold up to this day it got a little crazy at the end when homeboy turns into the devil and shit but mm-hmm. i still <laughs> <laughs> i mean but i, I was I'm, I'm here for it you know um i trying to think i you know i've never actually seen um was, was it which one was pam Grier? was she in blackula she was yeah she i think was um, was she was in like- blackula or scream Black- blackula scream it was one of those. But I, they gave her, like, she got to be an educated woman in it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, go figure. Yeah. She has a brain. Yeah. Or like Son of Ngagi, where they had a black female scientist, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? As, like, one of the characters in a yeah. in a genre, in a, in, a, in a world that wanted to, um, like, strip that 
from your imagination of what you could even become. Yes. You know? Um, also, I think, like, when we... It, it did a really good job of showing in a very short period of time the reason why representation matters. And specifically, you know, I think about Scarlett Johansson. I think about Scarlett Johansson being like, you know, I could be a tree, I could be a cat, I could be a trans person, I could be whatever. Like, that's what acting is, is like being other people. And it's like, that is true to a certain <laughs> extent, but I'm not talking... We're not talking about craft. Yes. You know, we're not talking about the art of acting. We're yes. talking about the fact that people like you have played people like us forever. And, it's and not, we want to play ourselves yeah, now. Yeah. You know? We don't need you to do that. No. Yeah. No, that's not... Don't don't we don't need your, you know, <laughs> donate to some funds or something like that. You know, donate to some political candidates. I don't know if you need to, you know, get right with your spirit or whatever. But like, don't take roles Mm-mm. that are meant for other people. Mm-mm. No, it's uh, and you know, people. I, it's nice to see people like like Scarlett Johansson. You know, rec- she has to recognize her privilege, and having the nerve to get mad. You know, having the nerve to get mad. Like, bitch, are you, how out of touch can you be? <laughs> Um, it, it's ridiculous that people would even they would even question why it's not appropriate to do that. Mm-hmm. That you don't know that experience. Right. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Therefore, you have no, it doesn't matter how many books you've read. Right. You don't know. Yeah. And also, like, there are ways you can prepare for different roles. Like, if you're going to be, um, you're going to play a pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe take a flight class, sit in on a, in a cockpit sometimes. Don't let your mind wander when I say the word cockpit. <laughs> Where's your mind at, nasty? <laughs> but, you know, there are things that you can prepare for and some things that are just outside of what yeah. you can, Like, what are you going to do? Like, There's go no to, class. No. For how to BS. No. No. <laughs> and please don't. <laughs> don't even do it. <laughs> don't entertain that. Don't go to your local uh, annex and. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I also thought it was. So we do screen queens every week, right? And a lot of times we're talking about um, women and people of color and stuff like that. And I think the importance of having a Sanaa Lathan, of having a Jada Pinkett and Demon Knight, of having, uh, you know, a, a black hero in Get Out. Um, I think what they were saying in this movie was that like then blackness shifts from being the focal point of the fear to being the hero, mm-hmm. you know? And suddenly we have audiences having to empathize with us the yeah. way we've always had to empathize with other people. Yes, which I, you know, I experienced that firsthand when I, you know, seeing Get Out in the theaters. And to watch that, it was pretty joyous, honestly. Like watching like old white people in the audience just busting up laughing at white people getting their heads smashed in and shit. <laughs> it was like, whoa, this is okay. Y'all are applauding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people were getting up out of their seats. So excited, you know, to see the black man prevail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that decision, you know, because you know how it was originally supposed to end where yeah. he, where the cops show up and, you know, that would have been all over. Yeah. Um, but because when he wrote it, the Black Lives Matter and all those things hadn't weren't on the rise yet mm-hmm. but since police shootings and all these things were already such a we were just entrenched in that shit it's mm-hmm. always on the news mm-hmm. it was like we don't we need a win 
You know, we don't need to see another man shot down. Like yeah. it's, it, that would have just been completely depressing. And I also love how in, in Jordan Peele in, in writing that script and in, in, in adjusting the ending mm-hmm. was listening. Yeah, he's he was still paying listening. attention. Yeah. He's aware of the times. And it's like, that isn't actually that hard to do. It's not. It really isn't. It's not. People are out here doing it all the time yeah. and they're making great work because of it. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, even as you are in the act of creating, you should still be an active listener. Uh, that's how you keep up with the times. Yeah. You have to be aware of what's going on around you. I think, too, his... So, we love scary movies. We understand that one of the things about them is that fear is universal. Uh, you know, everybody feels it. But in Get Out and in that scene in particular, it was like, but different people f- can fear different things. Mm-hmm. So, in the for a, a white audience, seeing the red and blue... I think would maybe be the good guys are here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The cops oh, are here. Yeah. We're going to be taken care of. Yeah, yeah. They're going to get a statement. We're saved. Yeah. And other people, you see the red and blue, it's immediate anxiety because yeah. you know it's a wrap. That's exactly where, and he knew what he was doing with that. It, yeah. was, it was really smart. And yeah, everybody's heart sunk in that moment. Like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And then, you know, it was what a great ending, you know, little rail popping up. It <laughs> <laughs> was, was comedy. Also, when Maxine Shaw, Attorney at Law, showed up in that movie, oh. I stood up in the theater and I was like, "Thank you for bringing Max! that up, Maxine!" Like, what the fuck, Eric like, Alexander? I was like, that was one of my favorite scenes of all time. Yes, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I, how did I forget about Queen Maxine? Um, can I say also, I you know, so thankful for you know people like Jordan Peele existing right now and the, the content that he's creating. You know, he's straight. He's very, very honest about it. Like I said, you know, we the only way we can get the, the films you want to see is if we make them ourselves. Mm-hmm. And nobody was giving us those avenues. So he's created that now. Yeah. And he's he's been very, you know, just blatant, blunt about blunt about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm he said, I'm not going to cast white people in these main roles. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not it's not. I, these are my movies and I can put it whoever the fuck I want to put in these movies. Yeah. And I want to see more black characters yeah. and people of color. Yeah. And yeah, he gets to do that. Um. You know, us was we, we we both saw us like several times. Yeah, and we were supposed to. Dre and I were supposed to see it together for the first time. And we time. both lied and to we each have, other. We had both seen it a couple of times before we met up to see it, <laughs> quote unquote, for the first time. We both <laughs> pretended like, ooh, I didn't know that was gonna happen. <laughs> and afterwards, Dre was like, I got to be straight with you. I've already seen it a few times. And I was like, actually, so have I. <laughs> You know, yeah. At least we were courteous enough to each other, but and didn't want to spoil from the beginning that we'd already knew what was happening. I feel right. like because I, and I really wanted you to have the experience that I had, and I think you wanted me to have the experience that you had too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We're good people, aren't we? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, in a nutshell, I'm uh, I'm really excited to be living in these times we're living in. You know, I'm seeing more and more like content that we can just constantly keep talking about on this podcast lena waith has like a a, a horror series coming out called them, them. Yeah. i just i just heard about that last night yeah yeah i need to look more into that because yeah i'm so excited about that and also just you know jordan peele again one of the one of my favorite parts of of horror noir was when he talked about the sunken place mm-hmm. and how it was supposed to look like an empty theater mm-hmm. that like at, you were a black person in the sunken place watching your life being acted by somebody else. And that has been the experience of black people in 
in cinema history. Yeah. Either it was written by a white person or directed by a white person mm-hmm. or played by a white person. And we person. have no say in it. Yeah. And We're I thought stuck. that was so genius. That I was really like, is. my dude, like my opinion of you has elevated even further. Absolutely. And like it couldn't get any more. But like it, yeah. it couldn't get any better. And yeah. it did. Yeah. I mean, that is a person, that is a person with serious, like, also you could just tell how much he loves scary movies. Yeah. There was an interview where basically he, just kind of summed up his views on horror films. And, you know, when people ask me, like, what are my favorites? I mean, I, I state the classics because that's really what inspired me. And he, as soon as he said, like, you know, I like a lot of shit, but, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and so and so. I'm like, oh, this guy, I see this guy. I get this, mm-hmm. you know. And because, I, you know, growing up, I forgot that, like, you know, it's rare to meet a, a black kid that likes some of the things that I like. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I was kind of the odd one out. Mm-hmm. But um, it, and it's it's refreshing now just to know that, there's a lot of people out there like me. Yeah. And, I, you know, and again, I'm quoting Tanana Rivadu a lot because, like, she had a lot of really amazing things to say. And one of them was the, was something like the history of blackness, the history of blackness is black horror or something like that. And yeah. I thought, like, in terms of, I, I really felt She's that a, too. Yeah, black history is black, black horror. Black history is black horror. Yes. And I really felt that in terms of indigeneity as well. Yeah. I mean, our histories are full of so much horror. Atrocious. You know? Yeah. And how to not internalize that or how, but then it's like, it's like history, our histories have been horrific and we're still the villains. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That is some bullshit. That's some gaslighting ass shit That is right some gaslighting ass shit. And that is, if the, if cinema is an opportunity, then it also has a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, we just can't let them have the reins anymore. No. I think a lot about how like, for us in marginalized groups, for people in marginalized groups from, from different walks of life, like oftentimes that cinematic representation is the only context that people have for our identities. That's the only because they don't see us. They're they're not on the res. They're not in the barbershop or whatever. They're not they're not where we are. And so the way that we're portrayed popularly is how they think we are. And if we're like, quote unquote, savage hordes on the plains or we're all leather and feathers or mammies and maids, it becomes not only the way that whiteness sees us, but because we live in white supremacy and it starts to reflect what it consumes it can become in a nefarious way the way that we see ourselves Yeah, it just becomes common commonplace common knowledge and that's and it's not that's just it's not factual it's bullshit they've gotten to control the dialogue forever and we're finally getting you know the strength to take that back and and like and white supremacy and oppression's ultimate um expression or one of them is um when we do it's dirty work for it you know what I mean? When we lose the imagination of ourselves and what we could be. And so this period of self-direction, that's why that's so exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Because because black people and indigenous people have been obsessions of otherness in cinema history. I mean, in horror for a lot of times for blackness, but also in, in Westerns for indigenous people. Like mm-hmm. those are ways in which they stoked fear in white audiences. Yeah. And it, it, inf- it influences race relations today yeah you know because those are still in the pit of their mind that's the way that we are they they also um they contradict themselves because they they mention in the documentary um how they also need like a strong black character to validate if something is scary or not Mm -hmm. you know so there's like scenes where until the black man's like oh you know this is fucked up or whatever 
And he and still till that moment happens, like in Demons, the other night we watched that homeboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he takes charge and you know, he's out after a while. But they have to they want them to validate it. But it's at the same time it's like that's all we're good for, you know. Like yeah. like bait or something. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's that's where the trope of the black person is the first one dead comes from. Um But that and that also isn't completely true. Like there are rules to it because mm-hmm. I know it, it seems as though because a lot of mainstream films do kill, they were constantly killing off black people and it's you know you get pissed off and you see that but then that's context of it black person is always the first to die it kind of took on a life of its own mm-hmm. but yeah there are kind of rules to it like you got two black people you, you can only kill one of them but sometimes they get carried away mm-hmm. can kill <laughs> they just take everybody out. There, there are these. I don't know who made up these rules, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, uh, what, what was it we were watching the other day? We we're like, so and so can't die in this because, oh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, mm-hmm. and we we're like, okay, they already killed his mama. They can't kill. Oh, him right, too, right, 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 right. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was really hoping they weren't going to. I was glad when they did not kill him off. Yes, but I think ultimately, my, um, my takeaway from this film was that when we're in charge of our own stories and when we have agency over the language that we use and the characters that we write and articulate how we speak i think that's black and indigenous resilience Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i think that's strength and i think that's survival and i think that that's us saying that we didn't choose english Mm -hmm. but look what we're about to do with it Mm -hmm. you know what i mean this shit is ours now to flip the script yeah and that's us saying that not only do black and indigenous people have a past that y'all don't know about and a present we're speaking on, but we have a future. Yes. You know what I mean? And that future's lit. Rich, rich. Yeah. And when, when we have, when we have the ability to tell our own stories, you know, and the opportunity to, that's also scary because it's always like, is this the one chance we're going to get? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if this doesn't if this doesn't pop, does that mean that's it? Is that a rap on indigenous people telling stories? You know what I mean? But I don't I don't think it is anymore. No, I, think, I don't think we're, so. get, we're finally we're infiltrating the studios in every position. You know? Yeah. So not only are we bringing the stories, we're taking over these studios. We're taking over these roles because that's the only way we can facilitate this. Just just to be like we matter mm-hmm. and our stories matter. Yeah. And our lives matter. Of course course so not to everybody but at least to us which is all that counts <laughs> all right so our act three we're talking about our screen queen miss vanessa paradis yes knife and heart a french scary movie set in the quote-unquote seedy world of uh like like late 70s french porn it's, well it's got like a it's got a giallo italian kind of vibe mm-hmm. uh yeah so it, it feels very late 70s like, yeah mid to late 70s and to it's me. like this kind of por- gay porn troupe mm-hmm. uh that Skull. starts getting picked off one by one yeah by yeah. a dude in a leather mask no rhyme suit. or reason no. but, it, but it's your good it's your standard good thriller it's uh it feels feels like it's it could have come out i mean honestly from 1970 something like mm-hmm. um they have a score by M83. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Dreamy as hell. It's yeah. beautiful. It's great. It accompanies that. It just takes that movie to a whole nother. It's like a big music video almost. And that's not like 
it's not like it's a musical, yeah. but it just feels like you're kind of, they're, like they're always performing. All right, so her name is Anne. Her name is Anne. Right. Uh, is a producer of cheap gay porn. Yes, and uh, she's not a likable character. No, and I un- like that about yeah, her. Yeah, she's really unlikable, but I but it's but it's real. It's honest. She's struggling with things, and honestly, this feels like a role that was probably a man would typically play. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's messy and. She's aggressive. She's mm-hmm. trying to win back her her uh, her partner Lois. Yeah, who's an editor, I think. In yes, the who is her editor trip. and companion. And it's uh, also like this entire world is populated by queer people. Yes, except the police. Yeah, allegedly. But uh, I mean, well, let's get into that in a second. But I think, in terms of a scary movie, like um, a relationship, or, um, uh, a story about someone trying to reclaim a relationship with a scary movie in the background, I loved as subtext because mm-hmm. in the way that you don't know if the relationship is going to make it, you also don't know if some of the characters are going to make it. Mm-hmm. So there's like the tension of the conflict between uh, 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 Anna and Lois. And then also the con the literal physical conflict of like this murderer kind of coming with a with a black with a black dildo by the way with uh, a, uh, a, a with a, like razor, a blade. razor sticking out of it yeah. which as a way to die I don't want to go like that like the yeah. first death I was almost out of it it, it was it, it was it was a doozy this guy gets um uh effed in the bee by this dildo with the razor blade in it and death by butt sex is something that I fear all the time oh, and yeah. you know as I'm not going to blow up anybody's <laughs> spot or anything like that but I am in some group chats where people are talking about like the you know small tears that one sometimes gets during anal sex and uh, the ways in which to remedy them so having the oh, the blade in it I was like okay I'm going to have to take a, mo- a walk around the block on this one you know I'm going to go pet the cat maybe for a second and then come back to this movie because that was a doozy <laughs> um, and that and that right there uh, that scene reminded me of uh, just the movie Stage Fright came to mind. I was telling you about this. Oh yeah, it's kind of like you scary call it fame. scary fame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like half musical and then just fucked up. Really awesome with gruesome violence. Like just really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed that about this film because the gore is like the blood is very lush. Doesn't really you know that's the, the that's the beauty of like a giallo film. It's like it's almost not real. Mm-hmm. You know, so even though it's violent, it's also kind of beautiful in a way because it's done like it's done like art. You yeah, know, yeah, there's I, there's real thought and care behind it. Yeah. And there's sort of it goes in between being a movie within a movie because there are like pornos that she's producing that are reflecting things that are happening in the mm-hmm. real world, like people dying. She produces like a series of, of films that are like with um, starring the characters that have been killed. Yeah. She keeps picking out these young boys that she finds who will be perfect for her movies and then. They start getting killed off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, some of these people, I was like, in 10 years, you're going to be very cute. <laughs> <laughs> right they, now, they you're looked, jail bait. They looked very young. <laughs> jail and I was bait. like, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> um, but also, like, her character in the film is relatable even as she's not quote unquote likable i hate yeah. that i hate the term l- likable likability because whatever it, i feel like that only applies to women in film yeah yeah you know what i mean yeah, like so nobody cares if a man isn't likable exactly that's why it, it was so special to see a woman in this kind of role where she again gets to be messy gets to be going through her alcoholism mm-hmm. and her she's really bad at relationships clearly or she's very uh She's very insecure about certain things. It, there's a whole lot going on with her, and you see the cycle. Um, and she's also just like kind of amazing to look at. Yeah, her yeah, face yeah. is so like if, I don't how to compliment it. It's strange. It's it just, is very strange. I mean, it's but not in a. I don't. I think it's like 
beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. And it, I, I like this. It's like whatever, unconventional beauty. I just think her face is just, it's so, everything about it is very real to me. Did you know that Vanessa Paradis, the, the person, actually is a spokesperson for Chanel? Uh, yeah, you know, she uh, is a, quite a, a renaissance woman. She's mm-hmm. done a little bit of everything. She had an album written for her by Serge Gainsbourg. Uh, she dated Lenny Kravitz in the 90s, and he produced her first English language album. Mm-hmm. She was married to Johnny Depp for a messy years, and they have a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe married. I'm not actually sure if they're married or not, but they do have a couple of kids together. Yeah. Um, and she's a singer. And I remember thinking, like, as I was watching this, like, I thought she had such a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, didn't that know, tone. Yeah, you can yeah, tell, yeah, yeah. I didn't know she was a singer, but I was just like, I was very lulled by it. But also it's it's like the tone is even and also expressive, mm-hmm. you know, which I thought was like, I thought it was just like a strength of her character. And I don't know, breath control or some other shit. I didn't realize that she had a whole other singing career and like tours internationally all the motherfucking time. But oh, like yeah. that's... <laughs> she out there doing it. Yeah. Um, I think too, the, the scenes with the cops were very tense and um, were... It like existential potentially sad because you know we know this but the police aren't actually there to protect the most vulnerable people you know like these people in who are doing sex work they can't go to the police they have to figure it out on their own because mm-hmm. anytime they try the police are like well you're fucking whores like we don't care about you yeah. you know and like that is so frustrating like that's I think of it as being an existential frustration because you're just like, how are we the most marginalized people in society or among the most marginalized people in society and therefore the most vulnerable and have nobody and no recourse t- on our side? Yeah. How the shit how the shit does that work? You know, in a in <laughs> this world, this isn't a just world. But anyway, not to get back on my bullshit, but Vanessa Paradis <laughs> in Knife and Heart, check it out. You're our scream queen this week. That is our vote. Mm-hmm. Scream Queen is produced by Alexandra De Palma and Domino Sound with theme music by Doc Allison. I'm Drea Washington. You can find me on Instagram at HeyGirlHey. That's H-E-Y-G-R-L-H-E-Y. And you can also find us on Instagram at Scream Queen Podcast. I'm Tommy Teebs Pico, and you can find me at Hey Teebs, H-E-Y-T-E-B-S, on all relevant social media. And find us online at ScreamQueenPodcast.com. In the scary movie of your life, you, you better, better Scream Queen! queen. There we go. <laughs> hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.